I'm just going to spend the next few moments talking about your life uh, up until this point. I'm going to talk about uh, the, the peaks. I'm going to talk about the valleys. I'm going to talk about uh, the part of your past uh, that you don't want to talk about with anybody. Um, you know, for those of you that are new to the church world, uh, anytime one of us talks to another about the good things that God has done or the tough seasons that he's pulled us out of, we call that story a testimony. And uh, if you're anything like me, there's parts of uh, my testimony I don't share. Uh, they are just uh, too rough, too personal. Um, maybe you're the same way. There's parts that you will share. Uh, but there's other parts that uh, are too rough. Uh, they were too hard on you. And so I'm going to talk about the journey that you've been on for your entire life. And then I'm going to talk about uh, what God is doing right now and how he's launching you in spite of the way your life may feel right now. So let's dive straight into it. Exodus chapter 3. Let's talk about Moses a little bit. Are you guys ready? Beautiful. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. The priest of Midian, he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amusement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Then the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look. God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. The part of this passage that arrested my attention first was the part where it said that Moses was tending another man's sheep. Not just another man, but it was his father-in-law. Now just that alone uh, gives a clear indication that life wasn't going as planned. Nobody plans to work for their father-in-law. Moses lived the first 40 years of his life with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was a prince. He wasn't going to be an heir to the throne. He wasn't going to be the next pharaoh, but he was a prince. And after the first 40 years of his life, he spends the remaining 40 years shoveling sheep dung. I don't know how to put that anyway. Let me get my shovel there, Brother Dwayne. Uh, you know, when it says that he's tending another man's sheep, 
That is a nice way of saying that he is shoveling poo. Let's just call a spade a spade this morning, okay? Yes, he's watching it, but he's cleaning up. He's looking out. If we can just kind of get a, a reality check of what that would be like today. Imagine you're driving down a country road here in Texas. You come to a red light. You look out the window and you see Prince William shoveling cow dung. You stop your car, you look out the window, and you're thinking to yourself, self, that looks like Prince William. But you, you also have this other voice. No, he's a prince. He would never be out here. If you're taking notes, I'd like for you to write down number one, mundane. Mundane, because there are periods of your life when you think all of your real skills are being wasted. There are periods of your life where you are going to feel like your real skills are being wasted. Here Moses, for 40 years, has been raised with a silver spoon. He's been raised as a boy sitting in a hammock with people fanning him with palm leaves. Someone feeding him grapes. Now he's shoveling cow dung. At 40 years old, there's no doubt in my mind that he thought to himself, this is not what I had planned. This is not where I saw my life going. At 40 years old, you don't volunteer to work for your father-in-law and you want to shovel poo. That's not the plan. I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but the reality is this. There are certain portions where you think to yourself, this is so far from what my plan was that I don't even know that I can handle this without being in a severe depression all the time. Uh, you know, I, I'd like for Jessica just to stand up just so everyone can get, just kind of uh, see a face for this story. Uh, Jessica is, and, and Isaiah are worship directors, and uh, you guys just do a fantastic job. Don't they do a great job? When, when she graduated high school, she went to the University of Houston. She graduated from the University of Houston. And my wife and I were out to dinner with them a, a few months back. And she was telling me the story about when she graduated uh, college, she came out with so much excitement. Uh, you know, when you, I'm going to change the world. And she, she got this marketing job. And uh, she just came in with so much energy and so many ideas and was ready to just do a whole bunch and just, oh, just fired up. And so her boss sat her down, gave her the job description, and uh, she found out that a large portion of her job description 
was, was going to be celebrating national days that are on the calendar that not many people know about. It was a major part of her job description. Now, keep in mind, in order to graduate from the University of Houston with a bachelor's degree, oh, between 100,000 and 120,000. So this is her job. After all that work and discipline, she needs to figure out how to celebrate National Play-Doh Day within the office. How many of you even knew that there was a National Play-Doh Day? This is her job. But then after, yay, everybody get the pink and the green. And, and now let's roll it up. Everybody make, excuse me, sir. I went to college for this. Oh, let's make a snowman. Oh, sorry, some of it got on the carpet. Need you to pick that up. Okay, here we go. Then close the book, pick up the Play-Doh, go back to the calendar. None other to find out that there is a National Peanut Butter and Jelly Day. As there should be. Anything with peanut butter deserves a celebration. Peanut butter and bacon are both from God. You put bacon in something, it's good. You put peanut butter in something, it's good. You can take peanut butter and put it right... No, uh, probably not. You know. Peanut butter and jelly day. Then, and, and this was so funny, I was asking Jessica before the service, I said, uh, just tell me some of the days. And she goes, there was uh, Gur Pirate Day. She goes, now... And I start to write it down. She goes, but it's not just Pirate Day. It's Gur Pirate Day. And she made it very, very, very uh, a strong point that if I don't go Gur Pirate Day, then I'm saying it wrong. So there's National Gur Pirate Day. that She's responsible to celebrate and come up with a creative marketing so you can use your degree marketing way to celebrate Gur Pirate Day. So I guess you're showing up to the office with a patch on your eye and like, watch this. Then there's National Pancake Day. There's National, this is my last one. We save the best for last. Oreo Day. This is a national holiday. Put your hands together. Oreo day. So Isaiah would come home. Jessica would come home. Now Isaiah spends his time here at the church. Comes home. Jessica says, how was your day? It was great. I got an awesome boss. (laughs) That's what you'd say, right? Got an awesome boss. I'm kind of embellishing a little bit, but. Got an awesome boss, and then, you know, I just, you know, we played music. Started listening to music to prepare for next week, and just lots of music, and just like playing with the guys. What'd you do today, Jess? Played with Play-Doh. But we got Gur Pirate Day next week. I think it might get a little bit better. 
I'm so happy, Isaiah, that your life is going well. I'm so happy I went to the University of Houston so that I could organize <laughs> Oreo and Mill <Mel> Guy. <laughs> this wasn't supposed to be. It wasn't. <laughs> It wasn't supposed to happen that way. I don't, you know, in all seriousness, I mean, we back up and we look at her job and we're like, that is the craziest job I've ever seen. Needless to say, she no longer works there. She kind of submitted her resignation after, I think, the, the Oreo day kind of did you in. Uh, and, you know, there's certain seasons where you go through, and you'd give your right arm if your worst problem was Oreo day, right? Because you're shoveling some real stuff. And your life should not be here. It should not be like that. It should be way further along. And in the first service, I was surprised by this moment. And in this service, I I shouldn't be surprised that it's happening again, but it is. I just feel the Holy Spirit tugging on me, letting me know that there's certain people in this room. There's a part of your life that is so far beneath what you were expecting it to be. It's just this one facet of your life. And I don't even want to give examples because I feel like the Holy Spirit is already pinpointing it right in your heart right now. You know exactly what part of your life I'm talking about. But you just feel like it is just a bunch of this, it is so far beneath your expectations that the possibility of that part of, listen to me, that part of your life ever changing, it would have to be a miracle. It would have to be a miracle. I want to say this that if you're there right now, or you were there before, every single life, every so often, finds that moment where it just feels like you are not doing what you can do best. The way I put it on my notes was like this. The mundane are periods in your life where you feel like your real skills are being wasted. And you have to be very careful during this season because we never know how long this season is going to last. You never know, it may be a month, it may be three years, where you just feel like your real gifts are being wasted. Or life is going by and this, the, the door of where your dream could actually happen and you can live the life that you were hoping for, that door is closing. You have to be very careful during this season because you'll start feeling like a failure. You'll start feeling like you are the problem. You messed something up. You made a decision that is irreversible and now you got to eat that bad decision. I just want to let you know something. That the devil is a liar and if you whatever thought you think If that thought has no hope attached to it and it just makes you feel worse about your situation, know that the enemy is talking to you right then and there. Let me say that again. If you are entertaining thoughts 
that makes you feel worse about your situation. And there is no hope attached to it. The enemy is talking to you. You know, I need that piece of paper right there next to you because uh, is this your paper or is this a random piece? Oh, good, because I'm about to ruin it. <laughs> this, is, this is how I want to illustrate this. If you are ever thinking a thought that makes you feel worse about your situation and there's no hope attached to it, Isaiah, come on up here real fast. I want you to know that this is what's happening to you. Now, I'm not going to scream in this thing. But this is what's happening to you. The enemy has walked up to you. And he is talking to you right in your ear. The next time you think a thought that makes you feel worse and there's no attachment to it, no hope, this is what's happening. You just got to know that. And the only, thank you, Isaiah, the only thing that's happening, that's really happening, is that this is a season of the mundane. This is very important because it's the first stage of four. Everybody say number two. Every Number two. The second stage is suddenly. So here Moses, he's walking in the wilderness. He doesn't like being in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, he's doing the mundane. He's doing the same old thing that he's been doing. Every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Thursday, every Friday. And I just want to say this. Some people get so tired of the mundane that they make a terrible mistake they take their shovel they look at the father-in-law and they say I'm all done.com see you when I see you I'm out of here I'm out of here do what you want to do You can take your shovel, your sheep, and your dung and do whatever you want with it, but I'm out of here. And now we have really complicated the situation because when God shows up, he doesn't need you to come looking for him. He's coming right to your house. He's going to come right where you live. You don't need to go looking for him. I just feel like God's calling me to quit and just to follow my heart. No. Here's Moses. Staying faithful, staying steady, staying faithful, shoveling poo for 40 years. And all of a sudden, suddenly, He's doing his routine and a burning bush, boom, lights on fire. Now watch this. When God shows up, it suddenly happens. One phone call changes everything. One email changes everything. 
I'll say this story real fast about four and a half. How long have we been in our house? Four years? Five years? Five and a half years ago, I'm sitting in the living room with my laptop on my lap. I open up an email. I check my email about 12 times a day. I open up an email from a friend of mine who owns a house outright. He doesn't have a mortgage. He says, look, I'm moving to Austin. I'm going to sell you my house for this price, and it's worth this. Sold it to us for at least 50% of its value. I said 30% in the first service, but it might be 50, somewhere between 30 and 50%. I closed the laptop. I look at my wife and I said, Allie, our life just changed. We're about to buy a house for half of its value. We go to the mortgage company. The mortgage company goes, no, we're not going to do this deal with you guys. Your credit is excellent and that's not the issue. You have a down payment, and that's not the issue. The issue is, is that this house is worth double what he's paying for it, and we don't know what's going on here, but we're not going to get in bed with you guys. We go to the next mortgage company. Same thing. We don't know what's going on here, but we're not doing it. I call up a buddy of mine who owns his own mortgage company. He says, look, man, I can't get a bank to do this deal. Everybody thinks that you're taking out one loan with the bank and you got another loan with the owner. Nobody's trusting it. Four times. No, 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 no. We're standing with a down payment. We have credit. What more do you want? No, we don't believe it. Finally, I hate calling in favors. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Love giving favors. Can't stand calling them in. I call up a friend of mine. He's the president of a bank. I said, look, man, I, I, you're my last option. I'm so sorry. He says, come, come see. He opens up, looks at the paperwork. He looks at me and goes, Frankie, I'm just going to tell you right now. If you weren't my friend and I wasn't a Christian and I didn't know how God worked, I wouldn't do this deal either. Nobody sells a house worth what that house is worth and sells it for that price. Nobody does that. He goes, but because I know you, I'm doing it. In one moment, our whole life changes. Our whole life in one moment. What am I trying to tell you? One email, one phone call, one appointment, one burning bush. It changes. Point number three, your response. God is incredibly interested in your response. Because here's the deal. When Moses saw the bush, what in the world? Watch this. When you end up in the presence of God, God is incredibly interested in your response. Many of you are in this room today. You don't go to church very often. You just happen to come today. You're standing in church right now. God is incredibly interested in your response. He's wanting to know, is this something you're interested in? Does this pique your interest? Does... Is there any part of this room that makes you go, I don't really know a lot about God, but 
something in here tells me this is right. He's watching. He's watching. Is there anything? So Moses sees the bush. God's watching his response. He doesn't say anything to Moses. The Bible says that Moses approached the bush. In other words, I don't know what's happening. I can't figure this thing out. But I am definitely interested. Because I'm so sick of that. And I'm very, very curious. He begins to pursue. Then God speaks. Sometimes we want God to speak and we're not even showing any interest at all. Did you hear me say that? No interest at all. We just sit at Starbucks and talk about how God doesn't get involved in our life. But we don't show any interest at all. It wasn't until Moses said, let me try to figure this thing out. Let me say something. When you're in church and you don't really know how to worship because you're like, why did they just turn out the lights? And why are they raising their hands? And I don't know this song. And you're just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And you say, well, I'm just going to try to kind of figure this out. Raising my, both hands is a little bit too much for me. I'll do the half mass. <laughs> but, and I'll close my eyes a little bit. But I'm just going to kind of figure this thing out. I'm just going to kind of move in that right direction. God says, Moses, you are standing on holy ground. Take your shoes off. Moses, hold on. Now, do you think for one minute he may have thought, I'm on this ground all the time. I've been shoveling dung for 40 years. And now you're telling me I'm on holy ground. When God shows up suddenly, what once was dung is now holy. Whatever is dung in your life, when God steps in, Take your shoes off and watch out. You say, well, you don't know my background. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've been doing. Well, Moses just spent 80 years of his life with his finger up his nose. He was 80. He didn't have that big of a track record either. Is there anyone here that's 80 that's been wasting their whole life not giving much attention to God? Well, if so, you're in the right category. You're right with Moses. But if you've done just a little bit more than that, you're way further ahead of Moses. I think you should give the person next to you a high five. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, give them a high five. There you go, there you go. And let me put these shoes on. And if you smell anything right now, just want you to know it's not my shoes. It's the person next. Oh, hold on, this one's stuck. It's the person next to you. All right, hold on. There we go. There we go. Everyone say point number four. <laughs> Almost tripped on the shovel. 
Had I tripped on this shovel, <laughs> I would have done something with this shovel. <laughs> there we go. Point number four, preparation. All of your experiences have been custom made for your assignment. Now, this is my favorite point of the whole sermon, so I need to refill Watch this. Moses is a Hebrew. What nationality are you? On three, tell me your nationality. One, two, three. Don't say white. (laughs) All right, one, two, three. And if you're a Heinz 57, just throw one of the 57 out. One, two, three. What nationality are you? Okay, Moses. Kunas is not a nationality. Jeez, who are we pastoring? (laughs) All right. That wasn't a cuss word, by the way. Just if you want to, like, email me and get mad, it's not a cuss word. It's a slang word. What is it called? What is it? It's Louisiana slang. And you were born and bred where? Thank you very much. She's from Louisiana. Thank you, Colleen. We love you. All right. So. It's Louisiana slang. It's not Louisiana slang. It's Louisiana slang. So, so Moses, he's not Italian. He's not Mexican. He's not a Greek. He's Hebrew. Comes from Hebrew parents. The mother puts this Hebrew baby in a basket and sails him down the river. Because Pharaoh over the Egyptians is going to kill all the boys. So it's either the baby dies or I'm going to put it down this river and pray to God something good happens. Pharaoh's daughter sees the basket. She opens up the basket and she goes, it's a Hebrew baby. She's Egyptian. Here's Hebrews. Here's Egyptians. They're not the same. They don't look the same. Nothing the same. You can tell just by looking at it, this is a Hebrew baby. She pulls the Hebrew baby out. She takes it back to her daddy. Hebrew baby, can I please keep him? Sure, keep him. For 40 years, she raises this Hebrew baby as an Egyptian, learning how to speak Egyptian, learning the ways of an Egyptian. This is incredibly important. So he grows up as an Egyptian. At 40 years old, he kills somebody because he saw an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew, kills the guy, realizes he did something wrong, runs away and goes and hides in the wilderness, marries a girl, a Hebrew girl, and ends up being a servant shoveling dung for another 40 years. So now he's 80 years old. He's a Hebrew who was raised like an Egyptian, knows Egyptian, but has also been a servant as a Hebrew. He's been a prince. He's been a servant. He knows them both. 
Now, God speaks to him. Fiery bush suddenly changes, sends Moses back to Egypt. He comes walking into Egypt, back to his old house. He grew up in that house. He knows the secret knock. Door opens. Moses, I want to talk to Pharaoh. Pharaoh stands up and he begins to speak to Pharaoh in that native tongue. It's all very, very important. Let me take a sidebar. How many of you were here when Marcos Witt came to preach? If you weren't here, you missed it. Marcos Witt, he's a six-time, five-time Grammy Award winner. Now watch this. He was born in San Antonio. A white boy, white parents. The white parents moved to Mexico to be missionaries. So Marcos grows up in Mexico. He learns how to talk and speak Spanish like the people in Mexico. This is very important. He sounds like a Mexican. You say, I don't get it. Those of you that are Spanish, you get it. Let me catch everybody else up. If I go to Lone Star College and I take 10 years of Spanish and I go and I talk to somebody who was born and bred speaking Spanish, the person who was born and bred speaking Spanish is going to look at me and understand what I'm saying but also know that I learned how to speak Spanish. I'm a gringo who knows how to speak Spanish. Marcos comes up here and he says, hello, I'm Mexican. And when he begins to speak Spanish, every Mexican in the room goes, yep, you're a Mexican. Well, how do we know? Frankie speaks Spanish. Marcos speaks Spanish. What's the difference? When you're born and bred in Mexico, there's a dialect, there's an accent. The way you say your words, the way you roll your R's. You, when you talk, immediately somebody who's born and bred in Mexico goes, yep, you're a Mexican. If I say, give me some queso with some fajitas. Bajarito. Fajita. I'm saying the same words he's saying, but every single Mexican's in here is going, I understand what you're saying, but you're a gringo. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? If you're Spanish in this room, you know what I'm saying is true. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand. That's the reality. It's like, you, Josh, you just raised your hand. <laughs> Josh, stand up just for a minute. <laughs> The only Spanish he knows is Spanish rice. That's, he, went, he ate some Tex-Mix at but he, oh, whatever. Anyway. So Moses, see how we did that? Okay, we're going to go all the way around. But Moses shows up and he's speaking Egyptian, even though he's a Hebrew, 
but he was raised with the Egyptians. He can talk, he's, he gets it. The lingo, he's there. How did that happen? The first 40 years of his life, yes, he felt like an orphan. Yes, he lost his parents. Yes, he's the only one in the room with that color skin. Yes, he's the only one that doesn't have a mom and doesn't have a dad. And all those insecurities came along with it. And what a tough childhood it is to carry those kind of insecurities. But that was so important for 40 years. But then God said, I need you, Moses, to know what it feels like to shovel some dung. I need you to know what it feels like to not have anyone and feel like a slave. So now, Moses, you can go talk to Pharaoh in the palace, but you can also connect to a slave because you know what it feels like. Now I got you with both. I know, Moses, it's been hard. It's been a hard 80 years. I'm sorry for that. But just because it has been a rough 80 years, it does not mean, man, I feel the presence of God right now. It does not mean that I wasn't preparing you for this season. I just want to just hit time out for a minute and just say to every person here, I'm not even going to pretend Like some of your lives have not been that hard because they have been more difficult than even words can express if you tried. And if you tried, I wouldn't be able to understand. But it has been preparing you all along. It's like a perfect cocktail mix because there are some people that have got to be able to look into your face and when you say you understand, you understand. Give the Lord a round of applause for me. I'd like for Isaiah, why don't you come on up here real quick. Something interesting happened when Moses stood in front of Pharaoh. He stood in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, No, Moses, I'm not giving you those people. One of the magicians walked up and took his staff and threw it on the ground, and it turned into a snake. Moses did not get scared. You know why he didn't get scared? You spend 40 years in the wilderness, you've seen your share of snakes. What gets other people scared doesn't get you scared. What makes other people nervous doesn't get you nervous. You've been through this before. He takes his staff, throws it on the ground, and eats that guy's snake. Then he takes his hand, sticks it into his coat, pulls out his hand. It's got leprosy. Then he takes it, sticks it back in his coat, pulls it back out. The leprosy is gone. Then he takes a cup and causes the whole river to turn into blood. And Pharaoh backs up. Hold on, Moses. Hold on. Whoa, 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 Moses. Chill. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Whoa. We didn't teach you that. I think Moses backed up and said, you couldn't teach me that. I had to spend 40 years out in the wilderness 
to learn how to do that. You know, it's so funny when he finally did lead them out. He got all the Israelites and pulled them out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea. They get out there into the wilderness. None of them know what to do. They don't know what to do. Now, what do we do? Moses backs up and goes, hey, I spent 40 years out here. So everyone listen up. You see this cactus? Don't touch it. You'll die. Now this cactus, poke a hole in it. You can drink out of this cactus. These berries, they'll kill you. Watch, give me your dog. Watch this. Watch, feed this. See? (laughs) Don't eat these berries. Now these berries, you can eat these berries. You spent 40 years out there. See, some of you that have been through hell sideways, sideways, not just hell, sideways. You take someone by the hand and you're like, okay, step here and then go here. Don't step there. Step here. And when you, when you see him, keep your mouth shut. When you see this person, now's the time to open your mouth. But here, you just wait on God. Now here, don't wait on God. You just keep knocking until the door opens. But here, whenever you can't pay your bills, spent seven years wondering how I was going to pay my bills. Just listen to me. This is what you do. I was single for 23 years. This is how you live when you're single. I was married for 27 years. And now I'm not. This is how you live. Divorced. Are you with me? You've been through it. You're prepared for this. And you say, what am I prepared? What do you say? Prepared for what? You are prepared to walk out those doors. This is the locker room. That's the field. To walk out those doors and make a difference. So what kind of difference? I'm so glad you asked. It is not my job. This is my last point. It is not my job to minister to people and make the body of Christ, disciples of Christ, to make more of them. It's not my job. It's not my job. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul was mentoring Timothy to be a pastor. And he said, for the equipping of the saints, I want you to equip the saints. Everybody say, that's me. 
for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So what is my job is to bring you guys in here into the locker room, the sanctuary, and say, okay, now, when you're out there and you run into this problem, show them this part right here. And then I equip you. I show, this is how you do it. You take my message You put it in your mind, you get it in your spirit, and you deliver it the way your personality delivers, which is probably a lot more normal than the way I deliver it. But the way you deliver it, and you are the one to help people shift from this lane to that lane. And God is so serious about your sphere of influence that your whole life he's been preparing you for it.